Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, and welcome to a special early edition of the Mets 360 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and I'm joined tonight by uh, Mets 360 writer Matt Netter. And we're going to discuss the uh, trade deadline and other things that are going on here with the suddenly resurgent Mets. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Good to be back, Brian. Thank you. I made a, a note of the resurgent Mets, and they've won six of their last seven games. Uh, playing their best ball of the season. Uh, if you go back, they're 16 and 10, which is uh, easily the the best streak that they've had over uh, 25 plus games this year. So I want to know: Do you see any way uh, that this team tries to add players for the 25 man roster uh, at the deadline rather than sell them? You know, it's interesting. If they have what five games remaining until the deadline, and if they somehow win all five. They're over 500, aren't they? Then you kind of have to rethink this. Yeah, so then uh, maybe Mr. Alderson's got to rethink his strategy. But uh, realistically, a whole lot of our wins have come against really bad teams. I mean, it's one thing to beat up on the San Diego Padres and, uh, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies and teams like that. But then we've really got our butts handed to us against teams like the Nationals, the Dodgers, um, I just uh, without uh, a full strength pitching rotation, I just I just don't see us realistically able to compete. I think we could get a miracle and still compete towards the end of the year, but I don't think trading away some of the guys we're talking about trading away is really going to make that big a difference. And I think the impact we'll get by bringing up Rosario and Smith, I think at plus getting a few guys back from injury like Familia and a couple of the starting pitchers, I think that'll make a bigger difference. Now you but bring no, up the point that everyone always that everyone always brings up about you know yeah hooray they're beating the dregs of the league, but that's pretty much what everybody does. I mean if you if you look at a team like the the Rockies, um, they're beating up on the Padres and Giants. They're ten games over five hundred against those two teams alone, and against the entire rest of the league, they're essentially a five hundred club. Um, do we do we say that? they're no good and they shouldn't qualify for the playoffs too. I mean, you, you play the guys who are on your, the, play the teams that are on your schedule and you beat enough teams and, and you make the playoffs. And it doesn't matter if you go uh, 85 and five against the dregs and, and lose all of the rest of your games. If 85 wins get you into the playoffs, boom, you're in the playoffs. The Mets are so top heavy with their two starting pitchers of uh, Jacob deGrom and Seth Lugo. Uh, that they could really make an impact if they were to add somebody who was just, say, a 500 pitcher. If, if 
such a creature exists out there who could win half of his starts, I think that would be a major step forward for the Mets. Was that a wink-wink about R.A. Dickey, maybe? You know, um, he, uh, he, he has something, and uh, perhaps we'll discuss him uh, later on in the show. All right. Well, okay. um, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who seems to think that uh, that buying is a realistic uh, option for this particular club. So let's let's I move on to I what everyone. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Let me say that I do think that Alderson really needs to put on his thinking cap, and I don't think it's as simple as just having a fire sale. Um, I'm sure the Wilpons would be thrilled with the money savings of unloading all the pending free agents, but then you have that many more spots to fill in the off season and you're going to get pennies on the dollar for most of these guys. So I agree with, with very quickly. And I know we're going to move on to this with unloading Duda and Cabrera just to make room for the kids, but some of the other guys I'd be a little more hesitant unless the return is really solid because some of them might be back next year. All right, well, let, let, let's talk about return. And, and my take on it, and you can agree or disagree, is that we have one guy who we should assume would bring back anything uh, close to a, a good return, and that's Addison Reed, because teams are always looking for relievers. And the fact is Reed has been really good since he joined the Mets, and, and he's got the, the famous closer dust uh, sprinkle about him too. So um, what kind of haul do you think that the Mets could get for an Addison Reed? Um, I mean, you're not going to get the kind of haul that the Yankees saw for Miller and Chapman last year, obviously. Um, but I, I think you can get, you know, maybe an organization's like number four or five prospect. You're not going to get anybody's number one or number two. Um, but we can get somebody who can help us rebuild the farm system a little bit. That would be a, that would be a nice play. And I think he's somebody I would consider trading. I don't have a problem with that because I don't know the odds of him really coming back. And as much as I love his demeanor on the mound, he does have diminished velocity. Um, He would cost a lot of money to bring back. Um, We're certainly going to need someone in that role next year, probably two guys like that um, behind Familia. But um, I, I think it's a good situation to trade him right now. I do. There are so many different factors at play, and first of all, the obvious one is that whoever acquires Reed is only going to have him under control for two months, so that limits what kind of return you could expect to get for him. But the other side, mm-hmm. you always have just supply and demand. There's a lot of people who are out there looking for pitchers. There's a lot of demand, and you know, there's not very many pitchers who are in, who are in the category of Addison Reed. And one guy who jumps to mind is uh, the guy that the Nationals acquired last year at the trade deadline who was in that same exact situation, and that was Mark Melanson. And in return right. for Melanson, they got two guys. Uh, they, they traded the Pirates two guys, one of them who is now the Pirates' closer in Felipe uh, Rivero. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that was a pretty good haul. And, and maybe they rolled the dice and got lucky. Maybe they knew what they were getting in Rivero. We could certainly argue that back and forth. But I think it's certainly possible to get somebody who's in the majors already who might contribute this year and in the future. Um, or do you think we should just uh, look to get uh, prospects and prospects only? Um, I think we're more likely to get prospects just because the teams that are really in the thick of it right now are not going to give away anything of value that's on their major league roster. I mean, you're not going to get the Dodgers to give you, you know, Baez or somebody like that. That's not going to happen. Um, 
you know, or, or Kelly from the Red Sox, that they're not giving up their own setup man in return. It's not happening. They're looking to bolster their bullpen and really prepare for the stretch run. And you really need those seventh and eighth inning guys more in the playoffs even than in the regular season. Um, they've really proven their value. And, and you know, something I think Alderson should consider next year in the offseason is making the bullpen stronger, not just for the sake of the quality of the team, but in terms of trade ships, because if you should fall out of it, those are the pieces everyone's looking for this time of year. So even some of the teams, like I don't agree with the notion that, um, you know, a bad team doesn't need a closer, it's wasted. Some team like the Phillies that knows in advance that they're going to stink next year, why not take a flyer on a whole bunch of lefty relievers, especially, you know, that are still available late in free agency and spring training, take them all give them minor league deals or put them on the roster. And a couple of them are going to, you're going to get lightning in a bottle with, and then you flip them at the trade deadline. To me, that's the easiest way to bring in assets. And I don't know why more GMs aren't doing that. Well, if they trade Reed, then the question becomes who becomes their closer. And I think that you can certainly make a case for Jerry Blevins has been the second most reliable relief pitcher on the team. So can, can Blevins uh, slot in and, and be the closer? Can he be a full inning guy on a regular basis? Or do you think he's nothing more than a loogie? This year he's been a loogie. If you look at his numbers, his, his numbers against righties have not been good this season, but historically they have been. I never would have called him a loogie before this year. I don't know if that's an aberration or not. But the point is, I, I think that would be for maybe two weeks because I don't think Familia is going to be that far off. The latest report I saw is that he's going to start throwing off a mound as early as today. So I think he could be back in a couple of weeks. Well, I think that's so I think that would be the same report. I think, I think, I think two weeks is a, a little optimistic. I, mean, I, I would certainly think that it would be uh, at least three, possibly four, from when he starts throwing off of, of a mound. And, you know, perhaps the games, if they're trading Reed, perhaps the games, whether they win or, or lose, don't matter. Uh, but in that four-month uh, span or four-week span, excuse me, would, would you be comfortable having Blevins uh, be, your, be your closer? I think yes, we'd no. have to, and I'll tell you, yes. And I, I think something you and I will agree on based on some of our conversations in the past I would not trade Jerry Blevins. We have a reasonable option on him for next year. And I know some teams have asked about him. I would be very hesitant to trade him. I mean, if somebody really knocked our socks off, I guess we'd have to consider, but he's not someone I would look to trade. I think he's a part of a, a part of our plans next year at the least. Okay. Well, if it's not Blevins being the closer, uh, last night we saw Paul Sewell come in and, and pitch two scoreless innings, uh, the seventh and the, and the eighth, setting up for uh, Reed. Uh, is he the, the new eighth inning guy and, and potential closer if uh, a Reed deal comes through? Everybody's got to push up a notch. Yeah, Sewell has been a pleasant surprise this year. I also think Josh Edgen has had his moments. Um, but everybody's got to move up a step. I have no faith whatsoever in Fernando Salas or Hansel Robles. And Salas, in fact, if nobody wants him, I I would uh, look to DFA him um, pretty soon because he's really just been a gas can all season. And Robles just can't be trusted in big spots, at least not this season. So, yeah, now, I think earlier Seawolves are number two and – Edgens are number three right now. I mean, if, if we trade okay. Reed. Now, 
earlier we talked about um, the likelihood of, of trading Lucas Duda and Isdrubal Cabrera. So if those two are traded and Rosario is called up, as everyone expects, who plays where in the infield? Well, I think Dom Smith would go to first base, and he's really been tearing it up. Um, I think either Flores or Rivera might spell him against lefties, at least in the beginning. Um, but I think Rosario is your everyday shortstop. Um, and I think Reyes will back him up if he needs a day off. Um, and as far as second and third, that's tricky, man. What I would love to see, and I don't know if they'll do it, I'd love to give Neil Walker a shot at third base. And then we can consider bringing him back next year. Because if you look at the upcoming free agents at third base, um, Moustakas is going to cost a fortune. And I'm just not a huge fan. I know he's having a great season. But if you look at his historic numbers, they're really not that great. He's never, until this season, he's never panned out, you know, to the hype that he was was rolling behind him as a prospect. He's never been on the same par as Hosmer. He, his name always came up first before Hosmer when they were coming through the system. And I just, I don't see it. He's not he's not Mike Schmidt or, 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 uh, or George Brett the way they thought he was going to be when he was coming up. Um, and I would be very hesitant to give a guy like that a five-year deal. Um, so I would love to see what Neil Walker can do at third base and consider bringing him back. Um, and I would like to give Flores and Rivera, you know, a fair shake at second base. Um, and one of them's your second baseman and the other one's your super utility guy. And Reyes, of course, is going to be off the bench. Now, to me, that's that's real interesting because uh, my expectation is that regardless of what happens, that they're going to have Jose Reyes in the everyday lineup as, as much as possible for the remainder of the season. A, because they're infatuated with the speed element that he brings up, and then B, he's actually been producing here, uh, what, the last month or so. Uh, how, does, how does Reyes fit into the situation? I find it maddening. Um, I was as upset as anybody when we let him go the first time around when he was still in his prime. Um, but that's, you know, water under the bridge. Alderson seems to undervalue speed while Collins overvalues it. And my problem is now that Reyes is really performing again, why is he batting seventh? Why not put him at the top of the lineup and drop Conforto to third where he can drive in some runs? I just I, Some of the thinking doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, is Reyes coming back next year? Where does he fit into the plans? He briefly played second with us back when we had the, what was it, Kazmatsui experiment? Right. Um, you know, and he's filled in okay at third base. I think he plays a better third than either Flores or Rivera. Neither of them seems to be able to make that cross-the-diamond throw with any consistency at all. Um, so I really don't like either of their potential at third base. I see one of them as a second baseman and one of them as a utility guy, but they, they are, they are pretty redundant when you think about their skill set. Um, but I think our only shot on the team of a future third baseman is Neil Walker. Otherwise I think he's going to have to come from outside the organization. 
He's Matt Netter, and I'm Brian Jora, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking Mets, uh, some of the deadline deals they may or may not be uh, doing, and basically just how the the team is doing in general. And uh, right now, to me, um, the elephant in the room, I guess you'd say, um, is the health and the productivity of the team's pitchers. Coming into the year, we thought that uh, the starting pitching was going to be a team strength, and it's turned out to be anything but that. And what I want to know from you is, can this team count on anyone other than DeGrom and, and Syndergaard if and when he returns uh, going forward the remainder of 2018, uh, 2017 and next year in 2018? No. <laughs> that, that, that's been the biggest disappointment and shock for me, um, and I'm sure for the organization as well and for all fans, is what happened to the pitching staff. I mean – in spring training, we had seven legitimate starters that all were seemingly healthy. I mean, yeah, a couple of guys were coming back, you know, from from surgeries, but nobody thought it was going to be that big a deal. Um, you know, and we let the not only uh, Bartolo Colon walk away, which I agreed with at the time, but the organization also in a 40-man roster crunch unloaded um, – Gabriel Inoa and uh, Logan Verrett and gave them away for just, you know, I think cash considerations, thinking that, you know, how could we possibly need more than seven starters? And all of a sudden we've got not only Rafael Montero, but we've got guys we've never heard of that were picking up off the, you know, off the leftover pile making starts for us. So that that's really been the biggest shock of I mean, disappointment about this season, I think. I mean, DeGrom's been fantastic. Um Everything we've heard about Syndergaard, he should bounce back okay from that injury. You know, it's going to be until probably the end of August, but he should be back in season and be a big part of the rotation again next year. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, even Lugo, as well as he's doing, he's got a tear in his elbow. Um, who knows what we're going to get from Harvey going forward. Um, Robert Gazelman, when he was healthy, was just awful for the most part. Um, Zach Wheeler's and, and Steven Matz both just seem to be made out of Legos, frankly. Uh, I don't know how much faith you can have in those two. Um, I'm starting to think the minute one of them is healthy, maybe it's time to trade them and see what you can get for them. But my thinking for next year is um, we really need to add a starting pitcher. Like you look back at the Nationals a few years back, and they had so much young pitching, but yet they went out and signed Max Scherzer. And people thought, wow, they really need a hitter. Why would they do that? You have to have that one bulldog that's going to give you 200 innings every year. And maybe he, you can't afford the Cy Young Award winner. You don't want to throw around the $200 million contract, you know, and go after you, Darvish, or whoever. But even a guy like an Edinson Volquez or, or, or even an older, maybe a couple of older veterans like a C.C. Sabathia or an R.A. Dickey or a James Shields, I think, has one reasonable year left because San Diego is paying most of his contracts still from the previous trade. But I, I think they need a couple of guys you can really count on, even if they're not, you know, potential 20-game winners. Because uh, we've never had, you know, all Ferraris running at the same time. There's always a couple of them in the shop, and this year has just been devastating. Indeed it has. Well, when you were listing players, one of the guys that you uh, mentioned was Rafael Montero. So let's talk a little bit about him. He was up and down as he's been the last few years, but since his last recall in mid-June, he's got a 334 ERA and a 1237 whip. 
And, you know, those are pretty good numbers. And I want to know, do you think there's any hope for him here in the Mets organization? You know who he's sort of pitching like this year is Bartolo Colon. He's cut way down on his walks, but he gets batted around, especially in the first inning or two, until he settles down. And it's just a matter of can he get a couple of key ground outs, you know, or, or double plays and limit the damage. And he's gotten kind of lucky with the batting average on balls in play, and he's getting good defense behind him. He was traditionally, until he had his struggles the last year or so, he was known as a control pitcher. He was never the hardest-throwing guy. But a few years ago, he was, he, he was you know, looked at with higher regard than Jacob deGrom and a few of the other guys. He was considered a really good prospect. He's got a lot of natural movement on his pitches. He's got a good repeated delivery. Um, he doesn't throw as hard as the other guys. Um, but, you know, if his control is there, I think he can be effective. He's not somebody I would count on, though. I would not pencil him in into the five-man rotation going into the season. But I see no reason he's controllable. Why not to keep him around as, you know, say the number seven or eight guy? Now, one of the things you said about him, I think I have to uh, take a tiny bit of an issue with, and, and that is you mentioned that he had good movement on his pitches. And I think one of the things that's that's frustrating for or in watching Montero pitch is that he's got him a, a little, uh, I guess you'd call it a slider, but doesn't really move that much. And his fastball is, is fairly straight, and he keeps trying to hit paint low and away on, on 60, 70, 80% of his pitches, and that's hard for anyone to do, and I think that's a reason why we've seen so many walks from him. Uh, he doesn't have the stuff to pitch in the heart of the thing. He's got to move the ball around, and, and generally he, does, he doesn't do that. He's had some success, but the success he's had has been against bottom teams in the league. But, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe that's the confidence that he needs to trust his stuff a little bit more and uh, quit trying to nibble so much. But then we have to get into the discussion of, well, who's the one calling for that pitch low and away over and over and over again? And yeah, uh, I, think we can, I think we can disagree on who that is. But, I mean, I think that we have to attack that first. Who's the one making – who's the one calling the pitches? But I will agree with you. When he leaves one belt high, it gets crushed. <laughs> he's got. He's yeah. He he's got to keep. He it can't at the pitch knees. middle middle. No. Let's talk about another pitcher then. The, the Mets uh, pretty much did a 180 from their usual mo, and they've decided to promote a guy who has less than 50 innings pitched at Double A and has never pitched in Triple A. Of course, Lexen. that's Chris Lexen, who's going to start uh, tomorrow on Thursday. Um, what do you think of that uh, decision by the Mets to promote uh, a guy who's that wet behind the ears? I think it's exciting, and I wish they would do things like that more often. You know, um, I, I think we're all wondering what's taken so long with Ahmed Rosario, especially given the nature of our AAA affiliate, you know, in a different time zone and in a an easy hitter's ballpark where numbers get skewed both for the pitchers and the hitters. I don't see a problem with giving it a shot once in a while. You know, the guy gets a great experience that'll build his confidence. What's the worst that can happen? He gets shellacked and realizes he needs more work and he goes back down. Or maybe we catch lightning in a bottle. Who knows? But uh, he's been really effective at double A in the 48 or whatever innings he's thrown thus far. Um, He's got great stuff by all accounts. Give him a shot. 
the thing you hear most often with Rosario is that Alderson doesn't want to call him up and then have to send him back down, kind of that situation you were just describing with Flexen, where if he gets bombed, you send him back down, so what? I think he's bending over backwards to avoid that. And I also think that uh, you know perhaps uh, he's uh, playing tribute to the veterans, saying, well, we're not going to uh, have uh, Walker and Cabrera both sit on the bench so that this guy can can uh, can start. So uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see him in a week, and uh, we never – not have to see him again as long as uh, he's playing for the Mets for the next decade or so. But but circling back to Flexen, I, I think it's – I'm with you. I think it's a tremendous thing that they're giving this guy an opportunity, especially when you consider that if it wasn't going to be him, it was going to be Tyler Pill. And I have nothing against Tyler Pill. Uh, hats off to him for making it this far in his professional career. But let's be honest, he has virtually no chance to be a star. And, you know, maybe Flexen only has a 5%, but give me the, the guy with the 5% chance rather than the 0% chance. Yeah, that's exactly right. And against San Diego, maybe he'll surprise us. You know, they don't have much of a scouting report on him. They don't know what to expect. And it's a pitcher ballpark. They've really only got two strong hitters in their lineup. Maybe he'll surprise us. All right, well, we've reached the time in the the podcast where we make a crazy prediction. I'm going to throw something out there. I want you to comment uh, if you think it's crazy or not, and then I want you to turn around and give me a crazy prediction of your own. And and my crazy prediction is that we're going to see a three-way deal uh, with the Mets, the Cubs, and the Braves. And The Mets are going to send Rene Rivera to the Cubs. The Cubs are going to send a C-level prospect to the Braves, and, and the Braves are going to deliver R.A. Dickey back to, to Queens where he belongs. So I want to know, how crazy is that? I don't think that's so crazy. And I've always been a big R.A. Dickey fan. As much as, you know, that was a great trade, um, he just had a presence here, and he was an innings eater and a fan favorite, and I would love to bring him back. And, and you know, with a knuckleballer, especially one who doesn't have um, – an elbow ligament, um, he, his age doesn't matter. And I, I think he'd be a great addition. Um, I would love to see that move. Um, I'm not crazy about the idea of giving up Rene Rivera. Um, I think he's – I don't see him as an everyday catcher, but I, I think he has a lot of value to the team. A lot of the pitchers like working with him. He plays really solid defense, and he's not a terrible hitter. Um, hits into a few too many double plays and weak pop-ups for my taste. But as a backup catcher, I, I think he's terrific, and I'd love to see him come back next year. So you want a crazy prediction from me? I do. And, I'd and like... just before you give me the prediction, before you give me the prediction, just let me say, I propose a three-team deal at the trade deadline, and I can't get out of you that it's a crazy prediction. So my grading, my grading standards for you are going to be pretty tough. Okay. All right. Um, I would send a couple of marginal prospects to either the White Sox or the Marlins to bring back that reliable veteran pitcher that could see us through this year and also help us next year. And I'm talking about either James Shields or Edinson Volquez. Now, Shields, everyone's initial reaction, if I ever mention that on our blog, Everybody would say, oh, he's got this huge contract. But if you look closely at it, more than half of his contract is paid for 
both this year and next year by the San Diego Padres. That was contingent on that deal with the White Sox back when it happened. So his salary is half what it appears. And he's an innings eater. He's a big game pitcher. No, he's not as good as he used to be. He's not going to win a Cy Young Award or 18 games or whatever. But he's a reliable guy we could plug in there in the middle of the rotation. And Edinson Volquez is a 200-inning-a-year guy also. And I don't think it would take much to get either of them. Well, that's true. Um, uh, I think we have to to treat these two proposals separately. So let's start off with the uh, the James Shields one. And uh, so far this year with the White Sox, he's uh, two and two with a 5.79 ERA, uh, nine games, uh, 46.2 innings. So he's barely pitching over five innings per start. So and with a 5.79 ERA, he's not having particularly good results with that. I like the concept. I like the concept of getting somebody who could uh, fill in and and give you some reliability out of that fourth or fifth spot. But I just don't see James Shields being that guy. You know, my, my opinion on Shields is it's very tough to pitch when you have a giant fork sticking out of your back. And uh, he's he's done. I don't ever see him being somebody who's uh, contributing in, in any meaningful, significant way ever again. He had a wonderful career, had a great nickname, Big Game James. But uh, I think it I think it's time for uh, him to uh, gracefully retire. Now Volquez, he's he's got uh, he doesn't have a very good record, but the ERA is significantly better at four one nine. So I mean he's somebody who you know I would at least uh, you know rub my chin and, and, and think about, um, uh, think about acquiring because I do think that, that he's somebody who could potentially help. So I would call the, um, uh, the first one, the shields one, absolutely that crazy. And then, uh, this one, not so much. So. Okay. All right. So well, on we that note, for one more question here. We got one more question. Let's bang it out real quick. And that's uh, Michael Conforto uh, declared recently that he likes to play center field. Uh, do you think the Mets should play him there the rest of uh, this year and next? That's a tricky one. The only way I would do that, I would not, uh, is if we end up not trading Jay Bruce. And Jay Bruce, I would handle right now the same way we did in the off season. I would not look to give him away. If we can't get good value for him, I'm content with not only hanging on to him, but seeing if we could negotiate with him for next year and how he might fit into the plans. Um, I don't know how many years he's looking for or how much money, um, but him and right field Conforto and Setter, and you can always bring in Lagoris or Nimmo as a defensive replacement. I don't think that would be so bad. It would be one less position to have to replace because the, the player everyone keeps talking about wanting to go for in the off season is Lorenzo Cain, who's a, true center fielder and he could steal some bases and maybe he can bat lead off. But he's a guy who's had his share of injuries. He's already on the wrong side of 30. I'm not sure how many, he's the kind of guy that makes me think back to um, what was that player Crawford, right? Who got that huge contract coming off a good year and was never the same. And, it's, he's the, and as he got older, he lost his legs. He strikes me as that kind of player. Like Lorenzo Cain on a two-year deal would be great, but you know he's going to want five. I'd rather give the money to a power hitter like a Jay Bruce and let Conforto play center. And here and there, you know, Cespedes is going to need time off. Bruce is going to need time off. You'll rotate him out of center field. But I, I, I think that's viable, and he could certainly work at it more in the offseason. 
Well, there you go. Uh, we are all out of time. I'd like to thank Matt for uh, joining us tonight. Uh, we'll be back next week at our regular 11 o'clock show as uh, Long Island Ducks broadcaster Joe Vasile joins us here on the Mets 360 podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.